Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Formulas of One Jackass podcast. And as always, my name is Ryan, your host with the most, and joining me as always is... Christopher here. Uh, yeah, we're heading into the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend. Um, not too much to talk about, perhaps, but still some interesting development from the last race. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to talk about that with you guys. Yeah, so let's get cracking. Let's get right at it. And Hungary, the Hungarian Grand Prix. This year, it's going to be the final race before, uh, before the summer break. So it usually tends to be summertime. Uh, the weather usually is always nice. In fact, there's only a handful of occasions that I can, I can remember um, it being a rain race. And then it's been classic races then. Absolutely. So the statistic for you is that uh, we've been going to Hungary for a very long time. And, uh, 1985. All of no, the greats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 1985, 85, 86, one of those. Yeah. Anyways, mid 80s to be safe. Um, and curtain times yeah um and only up until 2006 was actually the first wet race in hungary and since then we've had a couple uh, even last year it was damp before the race um i don't know if you remember but on the way to the grid for the for the start of the company max verstappen actually had an off uh, yep. and the red bull mechanics fixed his car within that i 20s. just watched that video again with the mechanics and the engineers and the whole thing and it is amazing it's like it's, if any one of you out there haven't seen it uh you should it really showcases why f1 is the pinnacle of motorsport and why these people are absolute like they're just the way they communicate it's so calm it's so collected they know the deadline they know what they need to do it's like seeing a well-oiled machine but just as humans and it's it's super impressive they managed to get the car ready for the race with seconds to spare they get the tires on on the five minute mark just about and constantly they have to because decide you remember to bring like, it into the pit within or not. the starting procedure there are set rules so mm -hmm. um with uh, five minutes to spare the tire blankets have to be off all exactly. uh, all personnel have to leave the grid and like you said, there were seconds to spare before the last person was off the grid. Yeah. Had he stayed one second longer, they would have gotten a penalty. They, sh they would have um, had to start from the from the pit lane. Exactly. So it was truly yeah. precision masterwork. Yeah, and Jonathan Wheatley even asks, like, okay, guys, how much time do you need for this? He says 10 to 12 minutes. At this time, they have, like, nine minutes left. And says 10 to 12. It's like, okay, it's going to be tight. Um, and he's like... Will you be able to make it before the tires on? Like, yes. Okay, go for it. And then it's not like, okay, are you sure? Are you sure? It's like, okay, just go for it then. If you if you believe it. And then they're like, 30 seconds, guys. Like, they just trust each other. It's so cool yeah, to see. It's and true, uh, like professionalism. It, this exactly. is why it is the pinnacle of of motorsport, of technology. You know, yeah. you have people in seats that are just at the top of their game. Yeah. They are, you know, employed by one of the top teams in Formula One. It's like this is why we watch yeah exactly and the mechanics they're working on the car each one of them know exactly what to do not to get in the way they just yeah it's just no amazing. because if it, you have, if you ever seen them working on the car you have at least six guys all yeah. confined within one space and one of them is underneath and the one another one is just above him and they yeah. each have their own little space yep. but they never run into each other because no. they know how to work with one another and exactly. if you spend a lot of time with each other uh, so from experience, I used to do um, a lot of meal prep and I used to always have this one colleague I did it with. And after a while, you know each other's movements and you can predict each other 
pathway yeah. so you can yeah. work around each other in each other sort of yeah, yeah, space exactly. and I, it's I all synchronized as well and it's the same thing like you get this i'm filming you're packing boom 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 things just work and once you get to that stage it's so satisfying to work yeah, you know absolutely. actually it's yeah it's super satisfying it's like playing a video game where everything just goes right but just in real life yeah but yeah. uh that that occurred at hungary one of the mm -hmm. great all-time sort of engineering feats yeah um but speaking about hungary it like to me it deserves its place on the calendar like it, it is does. a classic formula one race it not does. in the sense of so the track um isn't anything to be truly truly excited about it doesn't have iconic corners it's medium speed no true high high speed corners the straight is half a straight so no overtaking yeah. and such but it boils down to having you know the perfect race regarding qualifying regarding strategy calls um, everything needs to work in order to uh, this race to work or yeah. a lot of things can go wrong where someone yeah. else can pick up the pieces uh, yeah but another thing as well uh, about this track which is really interesting i find is like the more time has gone on the better suited it has become to the cars in a way and i know it sounds silly because the cars are like big boats nowadays but the technical section becomes even more technical and impressive and like it might even give less overtaking opportunities because the cars are becoming more sensitive etc but it's becoming even more of a challenge whereas beforehand the track might not have been like a big challenge it's like you can go to monaco and singapore a mistake gets punished um on this track if you do a mistake i saw this someone uh, wrote it in a comment if you make a mistake in a corner you can still get back on track but your whole lap is ruined because that one line that you missed is going to ruin the flow all the way through the circuit and it's such a good point and that's why it make it, it's such a technical difficult track and i didn't like this track at all when i first started watching f1 it was the cars going slow around there were hardly any overtakes and then 2006 happened and that was a an amazing race so every time it rains here uh which it does rarely as you said it's it always gives an amazing race because it really tests the skills and we have seen some really good drives here like 98 with schumacher and ross braun I, I was going to say like well we'll speak about 2006 because it's mm -hmm. uh it's a year in formula one worth mentioning mm -hmm. but to me what is also ingrained in my memory was 2003 so fernando yeah. alonso's first victory yeah and that was his way of arriving in the world of you know i joined the big boy club yeah. at the time he was 22 he was the youngest company winner um, in Formula 1 ever since Bruce McLaren so decades and decades um, he in that race uh, Michael Schumacher of course being world champion uh, going on to win the world championship that year as well uh, actually having a spin uh, in the race finishing eighth so one point but most importantly there's this young kid lapping the world champion winning his first race and everyone was like okay now I can see why Flavio Briatore had so much yeah. faith in him. Had the, he always had that raw talent and raw speed. He just needed to polish it and get it together mm -hmm. um, for a, a race weekend. Win. And yeah. he, he did that exactly. So yeah. that was the year that Fernando Alonso arrived, you know, joined the big leagues. Because yeah. that drive was truly, truly impressive. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that season because Kimi as well had his first victory in Malaysia that year also super dominant and that was kind of their arrival into F1 they were the 
young stars of F1 that, you know, there was buzz around them, but we hadn't really seen something in F1 that really proved it. And yeah, absolutely, 2003 uh, really proved that. Um, yeah, a bit like Max and Leclerc, maybe, in a way, you could com kind of compare them. That's maybe the most similar in a modern term. Yeah, and then speaking of the like, youngest uh, Formula One drivers, um, we have Max Verstappen that holds the record and will continue to hold the record unless there are some regulation changes again. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking about um, the uh, that era, Jensen Button was actually the, the youngest Formula One driver that entered and held that record for a while until uh, other people like Fernando Alonso, like yeah. Sebastian Vettel came in and eventually Max Verstappen. But 2006 was his first victory in Formula yep. One at Hungary. Hondas. And first I can well. remember that race very clearly. One picture that, that is ingrained in my mind was, you know, he gets out of the car, he opens his visor and his eyes were just I've never seen bulging out. <laughs> yeah. And I think he had about 114 races uh, before his first win. So yeah. um, there are plenty of drivers that um, had only a handful of races, um, but a couple of victories, uh, as well as, yeah, to, to have more than 100 races in Formula One back then, not now, because now that's only about... Yeah, it's coming up to four seasons worth of races, whereas yeah. beforehand it was to get up to 100. It was about seven, eight years until you got to that number. Um, so quite a long time where he was waiting for his first, first victory. And it was the first wet race at Hungary. So it was a I didn't know that. Actually. It was That's a really interesting. Race. Yeah. At the end, he, you know, he took the checkered flag Uh even then, the the tears of Honda were there. Yeah. 2006, as we saw in, uh, I believe it was Austria, um, when Max yep. Verstappen scored his first yep. victory with Honda powered for Red Bull. Um, so you can see that emotion. It just the entire Formula One community celebrated that win. Yeah, and John Button as well, mm, like yeah. Jensen Button's dad, like. He was there. Like I remember it so clearly. And Kimi crashed out of the race, uh, crashing into was it Liuzzi or something, and De La Rosa managing to get on the podium, second, and the other yeah. McLaren who was only just temporary uh, standing filling in for uh, Juan Pablo Montoya yeah. because of his Alonso tennis having accident. wheel nut issues and losing his wheel out of the pits, and yeah, had a dreadful, dreadful race. Up until then, he was really like carving his way through the field. He was having a really good race. I remember the VHS because I recorded that race um, just by chance and I have it and it's literally titled F1 2006 best race ever <laughs> or something like that because I started watching in 2004 so this was like the most uh, yeah crazy race I'd ever seen um, so yeah good times man yeah just uh, two more statistics for you uh, 1993 Damon Hill takes his first victory at the Hungara Ring mm -hmm. and who's the last? I'm sure you know this one. To take their first victory, yes. Daniel Ricciardo, 2014. No. What? No. No, he won in Canada. That's true. Shit. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, wait. Let me think. 2008. Heike Kovalainen. Oh, shit. That's yeah. true, man. Yeah. So That's true. I remember that race as well, actually. So three out of the four went on to become world champions. Not a bad place to have your yeah. first victory, actually. That's true, yeah. And this seems to be a track where the world champions usually do really well. I mean, Lewis has a really Actually, good no, I here. went through the statistics, and up until the Mercedes, you know, 
dominance. It was actually um, the, um, so let me get this right. So the constructor champions were not likely to win the Hungar Hungarian Grand Prix. And the world champion yeah. often didn't yeah. win the Hungarian Grand Prix in hmm. that year. That's funny. I mean, so Schumacher during the, won it a lot. Yeah, during the uh, Red Bull dominance, it was often Ferrari uh, that managed to take True. a win there. Um, or McLaren. McLaren as well. So 2009, I remember Lewis's win there because that was a bit miraculous as well. Yeah, but Lewis has won eight times uh, yeah. in Hungary, which is yeah. a crazy, crazy statistic. It just shows. And also, um, especially within this new V6 turbo hybrid era, the, uh, the Mercedes car, you know, with its long wheelbase, um, doesn't seem to suit the track. No. So it didn't you really up until the, the latter years where over the past couple of years they have dominated there, which That's is true, uh, yeah. surprising. Because Ricardo is good here as well, especially into turn one where you can kind of like send it um so yeah after they revamped that i think that was a good decision but it's funny this track is like we talk about a lot of tracks that are off the calendar on the calendar is spa gonna be on this year like that was a discussion we had every year at one point because mm -hmm. they were off in 2005 they were off in 2003 Correct. so we always wondered the german grand prix nürburgring what's going to happen here this race is going to be taken off japan is going to get taken off but this track for some reason has just managed to hide behind something and no one ever talks about removing it which at some point it was like the track with monaco people were talking about removing this monaco and spain were the three tracks they talk about were slow back in the day but they've uh, they've survived so far and i'm glad they have it is it is a classic of the f1 track yeah because one thing um i i would like to highlight is actually the geographical location of it all mm -hmm. so it is so much more um conveniently located to like you know the Balkans, the Baltics, like Eastern Europe, the where fans coming. exactly yeah. it is. It is summertime, so it's a great place to go, Hungary, for like tourism as well. You know, it's beautiful, lots to do, lots to see. So. It's accessible, it's cheap. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it makes sense why it is always such a uh, well-visited race. Yeah, and you can see a lot of the track uh, from different vantage points. You can because it is kind of like this short Mickey Mouse track in a little bowl kind of so you have a good vantage point of further away so yeah um definitely i think a, a good track to go and watch f1 if you want to yeah so I'm, I'm i'm glad that it wasn't on the chopping block uh in hindsight me too man again too. um we've spoken about this before uh i would like to see a rotation system come in so uh, it wouldn't be the end of the world to ha not have hungary uh, one year but the next yeah. year on but exactly it should definitely be in the mix always for, on a rotational basis it's a classic f1 track what can i say yeah uh not necessarily track but race because the race can be um yeah, but it, in a way it is as well like it, it is it's like it, it does need something a bit yeah too that's small true. for f1 but it yeah that technical sector and the rhythm of the track once you get it right yeah, there's something about it. it. It is special. It's just one of those tracks you don't like until you kind of get it right. And even then, it's hard to get there. And it's not, you know, you, one little mistake. Well, the characteristics of the track time. also plays into the hands of um, peaky cars, for example. So exactly. Cars, Quick direction changes. Yeah. yeah, cars who, you know, are not front running or, you know, the, the leaders in terms of performance. But it can throw a spanner in the works of, you know, the leaders that... Yeah. It is one of these tracks on the calendar per year 
where traditionally uh, a team like Red Bull, who um, if they didn't have the fastest car, would target places like uh, Hungary or yep. Mexico, for example, Singapore. Even Williams back in the day would target this race. I, I say back in the day, I mean like literally <laughs> a couple of years ago uh, when they were really bad. Like this was the race they were going to score points, like high downforce and then just go for it, you know. So, so who would you say looking looking forward to this weekend? Who do you think could could be the dark horse? The Ferrari drivers. I think uh, we saw at Portimao ever since. I can't forget how the car was just glued to the track in the low-speed corners. We saw at Monaco as well how, how good it was there. And I think if they manage to get a good flow on a good setup, the car looks super stable in these slow-speed corners. Um, so I, th I think Ferrari are going to have going to be the dark horse. And as well, Red Bull, I mean, they're not the dark horse, but I think this is a track that will suit them massively. I think... Yeah, I'm expecting Max to, to win by a big shot. It's just that the fact that Lewis is Lewis and he's so good at this track, that's the only thing that, in my mind, it could challenge him because I don't think the car is uh, really set up for a track like this. I think a lot would depend on the Saturday, of course. Mm -hmm. So I think if Saturday is going to be blisteringly hot and we have the softest compound available, it could be a bit of a lottery yeah. and I could put some money down on the man who's going to turn 40 uh, Thursday. Alonso. Who had his first victory at this track. Yeah. So I think if he gets within a shout of a good qualifying position, let's say high up on the grid, fifth, maybe a fourth, um, yeah. he is not going to let that place go and he's just going to look upwards. So you know, yeah, podium could be a possibility here in, in Hungary. I The only thing I doubt is just the the car, like it's, it doesn't seem to be that maneuverable, maneuverable. Sorry, that's a difficult word to say in English. In in slow corners and, but then again, I at the sprint race, sorry, sprint, sprint race, uh, we saw Alonso fighting quack, quack. the front, quack quack, uh, fighting the front end a lot on the car. You know, like really putting faith in the front end of the car. If he can do that with that car around this track and manage his tires people won't be able to get past him. And like you said, I think he'll be able to, to manage well. But I just don't think on, a, on one lamp and in his qualifying, he, he'll be able to do much. Like, let's see how wrong I am. I can't wait to see that. Um, but on the straights, he should be able to kind of hold people back because he has the Renault engine there. Um, but yeah, no, it would be good to see him. I think he'll do a good result. And his result, no matter where, where he ends up, it will be better than what Alpine could expect on this track. And in comparison, I think Ocon will not be as good on this track simply because Alonso is just yeah good here yeah I think he does have that uh, we, we especially saw that in the sprint um, he can wrestle the car he can yeah. out muscle the car yeah um, with his you know aggressive but still controlled uh, you know throwing yeah, the I don't car know if we talked corner. about it last episode but apparently he, he went in deeper into his driving technique why it is he does that and apparently he saws a lot on the steering wheel on entry, especially back in the day, simply because the car was so like rear focused, uh, had so much grip on the rear, not so much in the front. What he was doing with the front was he was trying to turn the car in. If the steering wheel was light when he turned in, that means he didn't have enough grip. He should slow mm -hmm. down, get the car to grip and then get up. If he turns in and the steering wheel is heavy, meaning the car is gripping, then he knows he could just floor it. So that's why he's constantly adjusting while playing with the throttle. And that's been his, his style throughout the years. And maybe at some point it didn't really suit. But that's what he seems to be going going at again. And that's really interesting because it's a bit like sim racers. 
we we don't have uh, g-forces we can't feel what the car is doing where the grip is etc we have to use our eyes and our hands and the steering wheel and that's how you kind of manage the grip so it's interesting to see him kind of be doing that in real life because yeah it's not good on the tires but he manages to to do it somehow so yeah let's see if he can wrestle the car around these these tight little corners yeah know, so it'll be one to watch out for uh, i'm looking for sure. forward to the race uh this race being the last race before the summer break starts and mm -hmm. traditionally um once the summer break starts the the carousel starts going so the driver market gets into gear uh mm -hmm. and we've had in the news um an interesting development or rumor yeah. um so surrounding valtteri bottas and alfa romeo so do you want to take that one yeah, I mean, I haven't read much about it, but uh, Alfa Romeo are probably, they're apparently looking for um, for a new driver. And, you know, with them having uh, a very inexperienced driver in one of the seats and Kimi being so experienced that he might have to leave soon, um, they thought, why not get the other Finn in the Alfa Romeo? And it does make sense. I think having another experienced driver is what Alfa Romeo needs. I think Kimi is just a little bit past his prime now. Uh, to bring something but let's say they've gotten someone like Carlos Sainz in the team or Daniel Ricciardo that would have been ideal uh, and Bottas is in that what's it called like that class of drivers you know that's the generation he comes from um, so I think he could bring a lot to the team and yeah they keep to have a finished driver um, well, I think this, this it, but like this came to mind because a couple of weeks ago um, Alfa Romeo announced that it was continuing its relationship with uh, Sauber, which yep. essentially it is the team. Which but uh, interestingly, Fred Vasseur, the team principal of Alfa Romeo, uh, said that it, it is not con so one of the seats is not contingent on Ferrari anymore. So yep. currently in seat is Kimi Raikkonen, uh, a former Ferrari driver who moved there after he did a seat swap with Charles Leclerc mm -hmm. uh, and Antonio Giovinazzi, who is a Ferrari junior. So both of them have links to Ferrari uh, within the first couple of years Ferrari still paid the the, the foot of the bill for uh, Kimi Raikkonen's salary which of yep. course is hefty um, but with this um, partnership or renewed partnership um, the seats are up to Sauber to decide mm -hmm. so they don't have to have a Ferrari link um, previously who were linked to the seats were the Ferrari Junior, so the Callum Islet, Mick Schumacher of it all. So now that um, uh, it doesn't have to be a Ferrari Academy or Ferrari driver, um, it opened up some space perhaps for uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas, for example. I think it's good for them. I think it's good for them. Like they, the fact that they have a Ferrari youngster in, in the works is also a good thing, in my opinion because um, there's simply too much talent now and there's not enough seats in F1. So it would be good to see more of these young stars that deserve a, a chance at F1 to get a chance. But for Alfa Romeo's future, for them to be able to, you know, focus on a driver themselves, um, yeah, it gives them some sort of stability. You know, uh, we're seeing it at Williams as well now. If Russell leaves, Williams will also have kind of a vacuum, you know. Um, and you need someone, a driver, it's more than just a guy who drives the car, you know, someone that can get the team together so yeah i think well interestingly i i was uh i envisioned actually like schumacher in the seat for next year because it would make but sense on a lot be. of um he is just about crossing the t's and the i's on a new Haas contract that's true i actually think he he will stay at Haas for one more year but after yeah. that i think it'll be alfa romeo and possibly he'll stay there at alfa romeo if he cannot get to ferrari if he doesn't you know Correct. Really I, I would have seen them taking a shunt, uh, or not yeah. uh, taking a shunt, taking a punt uh, for in uh, 
Alfa Romeo for the next it's year. It's not Mazepin, man. To, to, to see um, what he's like in the midfield, having some battles. Uh, to, but then, yeah, when you look at the current driver pairing, I think signed to sign up for another two years. Yep. So they're taking the slow route with uh, Mick Schumacher, which is needed. We've seen they have a time and time again. as well with yeah. Leclerc and uh, signings. Like that is the biggest surprise, not, not the biggest, one of the bigger, bigger surprises this year. There's been many. Uh, is how well they are working together and how equal they are in pace as well. So I think to 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 ruin that now, no. Now they just gotta focus down, get the car fast, and then uh, they'll have some solid years ahead of them. So yeah. yeah. So we mentioned Valtteri Bottas to Alfa Romeo because everyone is under the presumption that it is confirmed that George Russell will replace him at Mercedes. Yeah. Um, that also opens up a seat at Williams, uh, at least one, potentially two. Mm-hmm. But um, the drivers in contention, perhaps, for a Williams seat uh, are actually the Formula E Mercedes drivers currently. So that's Nick de Vries, uh, the 2019 Formula 2 champion, and Stoffel van Dorn, uh, former Formula 2 champion as well, and mm-hmm. raced in Formula 1 with McLaren during the, the days um, where they were just horribly back, back of the yeah. grid engine blowing up all the time but uh, massive talent uh, still and back then as well uh, currently driving for the Formula E team uh, for yeah. Mercedes so one of them is championship leader uh, currently in Formula E uh, and touted as a possible replacement for uh, George Russell at Williams yeah. so retaining that uh, Mercedes link because all I'm of them happy are to see that they could have a foot back into F1 because after the whole fiasco with Robin Freins, uh, Antonio Felix da Costa, um, you know, they were like really good up and coming stars, never got a shot in F1. Van Dorn's career was kind of like, yeah, it was a shame at the time at McLaren. He had Alonso as a teammate as well. Like, it's not going to be easy. Um, and Nick de Vries as well, who was touted as a McLaren youngster. And uh, I he was a McLaren youngster. Yeah, the two episode. Exactly, right? But that brought with it so much expectation for every junior race that he visited because it's not often that uh, an 11-year-old boy is drawn into a cartoon next to a Formula One world champion in the form of Lewis Hamilton. Um, And I think Jensen Button was there as well. So another Formula One champion. So, and this was when he was still in karting before going to Formula Three. So every junior category series he entered, he was viewed as, you know, or championship contender simply because of the hype and he's had some spectacular drives uh, in his junior careers just never really got to put a championship uh, contention together Um, was in Formula 3 for about three years you know four years by the time that you know you do expect a a solid championship fight out of this driver having that that experience what we uh, I suppose as racing fans what we tend to expect from from really talented drivers is that they walk away with the championship and their debut season yeah. much like uh, Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Hülkenberg, uh, Charles Leclerc, um, Max Verstappen didn't even do Formula 2 or GP2 yeah. you know so yeah. you know perhaps we are a bit over expecting things exactly uh, and, and that adds the pressure to an individual a youngster like Nick DeVries and look at Lando look at Lando perfect yeah. example um, yeah a really good driver absolutely made of the right stuff but maybe he people weren't thinking he was top top tier Verstappen Schumacher Senna Hamilton level 
Uh, now that he's if in F1 and found his footing, he's really proving people wrong. You know, sometimes you also got to remember these young drivers are that they're young drivers. They still have a lot to learn, and oftentimes they get thrown back into recycling so so easily and quickly in other series where maybe they should have you know been given another chance. And it's a bit of shame F1 is so cutthroat. Uh, but yeah, I think having Nick de Vries and Van Dorn definitely as well back in F1 would be really interesting. Um, and another thing is in the F1 games. Why we can choose between legendary drivers like, you know, Schumacher and whatnot. There's not Hakkinen in it for some reason. But why can't we choose young drivers or former F1 drivers? Why isn't there a chance to get Hülkenberg in your team or Stoffel van Dorn, for instance? I thought that's really odd because, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can't comment. I no, I know, but game. it's just a little bit I annoying. I, I right? bought it, I bought it, but good. I haven't played yet. But, good, good. Uh, yeah, I haven't had time since touched. last week, man. <laughs> God damn it. That's weak. But touching back on your point, uh, of course, we were in tune with um, what is written on social media, both the bad and the good. But for the good thing, um, the state of Formula One at the moment, I mentioned the, the over-expectations of youngsters. Um, the, um, the age in Formula One has just drastically gone down and down and down over the last couple of years. We mentioned yeah. Max Verstappen uh, being... Um, the youngest uh, and hold, hold that record for a while until the regulations changed. He was 17 when he debuted in Formula One. And one comment that came by when uh, this article specifically was talking about Nick de Vries is, oh, he's too old. Uh, he's 26 currently. Oh, he's too old. And I was thinking, is this the state of affairs, like the, the state of affairs that we have gotten to in Formula One where a 26-year-old is deemed too old to make their debuts in, in Formula yeah, 1. I think like, have we been that spoiled the last couple of years? I think there's, um, there's some sort of weird thing going on. Just because we're used to seeing such young drivers come into F1, that's what we should expect. I mean, Giovinazzi is a bit older. Uh, I think he's a good age to join F1. And I honestly think Damon Hill as well is a good example. Maybe it's a bit too far back. But I like honestly think racing drivers are like they can perform at the peak up until around 30. Then after that, it's their other skills that takes over why they're still good. For instance, maybe not the raw pace and reaction skills. Everyone is different, of course. But I think up until their 30s, they're still massively good drivers. And I'd say that's the sweet spot to find a good driver. So if there is an endurance driver that's really good and he's in the 30s, wants a seat in F1, I think they should get a chance. But for sponsors, they wouldn't want to sponsor him. They want someone that's hype around, you know. So that's probably why. We saw with the, in 2014, uh, Andre Lotterer in the yeah. uh, Caterham yeah. in Spa. In Caterham. Doing a really good job for one race and then out. And you're like, oh, but, okay, never mind. Like he spent whole, his whole life in, in endurance series and in Japan as well racing, really making a name of himself. Uh, but he should have gotten uh, another shot at F1, uh, in my opinion. I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, that, w that was a surprising thing uh, to read uh, as a But comment. don't forget, it's also just Toto putting these names into the media now. Drivers to drive for him. Now they're in the media. People are talking about it. Possible sponsorship. Like, he's a smart man. He's a businessman. And just because he said they deserve to be in F1 doesn't mean that he wants them to be in F1. Like, it could literally just be because maybe other teams want them, and now he's, like, making the price higher. Um, yeah, I think the other Williams seat, if, if, if it goes to either Van Dorn or Nick de Vries, I'll be super happy because it's good to see them getting another shot. But is this, is this a smokescreen that it's a done deal that Valtteri Bottas is going back to Williams? Because that doesn't no. seem discussed. No, I don't think so. 
I don't think like I think the deal has been done with Russell to Mercedes, but not with Bottas. That's my suspicion. And yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a weird one. And maybe the Bottas to Alpha is also something total concocted just to get Bottas' value to go up. So Williams want to fight for him more because he's one of the more experienced drivers on the grid and they can't really get another experienced driver, maybe except for Hülkenberg, which I think would also be like Hülkenberg. We still want to see back in F1, right? Absolutely. Everyone be saying Williams, oh, Williams on the upward trajectory yeah, would man. be an interesting place. Yeah, for him. He started his career at Williams. Like, come on, it would be amazing. Like, yeah. One of the and biggest travesty was was him getting kicked out of the Williams at the end of his debut season. Uh, yeah, after, that was strange. After, and then he uh, spent a year off, no? And then came back to Force India? Or did yeah. he go straight to Force India? He uh, spent a year off as a reserve driver, I think. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that, then he managed to get a pole position in Brazil. It was Brazil, a, it was a crazy 2009. One. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. Um, but yeah, driver. And we haven't even talked about the other seats, uh, which are not definite yet. Um, but it's bound to happen. I think the first thing will be announced is Mick Schumacher's extension at Haas, which makes sense. Uh, it also it also ensures the survival of Haas. Of course, he's not footing the bill, but he is the the face of that team. He, he does bring the in marketing that face outwards. exactly. And the money uh, up the ass, that's straight up uh, Daddy Mazepin, rubles. man. Uh, um, so that's the first thing uh, I suspect will kick off this. This uh, we're not even in the summer break yet. No. Um, but it's bound. It's to gonna be a long summer break. It's gonna be a long summer break. We've had such so many good races now, and yeah, it's gonna be weird not having. And traditionally, F1. the summer break after the summer break is when Lewis kicks it up in into gear. Uh, yep. Quite often, a couple of seasons where back then, he, wasn't, he wasn't he uh, wasn't leading. The championship yeah. going into the summer break so that's going to spice up again it's going to heat up uh yeah when the race happens so anything last things from you actually yeah just a quick track that they talked about uh having the track in um in qatar uh the you might have to bring this uh, in the year i just wanted to mention it it's not a track I'm that familiar with. I've, I've, I've raced it in a sim like ages ago. Um, never really learned it. Uh, strange. Okay. Um, there's a MotoGP track during the F1 calendar, except when we have all these other tracks. I don't know. It was just, it's just weird. Uh, I'll be another interested to see track, how it goes. Another race in the f Middle East, of which will be the fourth. Night race in the desert. It's going to be Qatar, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi. Now we just need the Dubai. It sounds, it sounds Bernie-esque. It, it, it really does sound like Bernie. Yeah. Uh, but we shall we shall see. Uh, we shall see. I think I think you know uh, the Nurburgring. Uh, we have so many alternatives that are already F one proven, uh, yeah. F one safe. Yeah. Which we could all uh, if there needs to be uh, an altercation um, yeah. in the calendar, we should consider. Uh, me personally, if we're going to America. I wouldn't mind seeing two races uh, at, at Austin, you know, the, the Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, no, absolutely. That so. would make sense. Um, I think that would be a great idea, actually. So, yeah, now that we, we couldn't go to Canada this year, uh, mm -hmm. we kind of lack a little bit of the North American flair, you know, um, for sure. I mean, ideally, I'd love to see an F1 car on Watkins Glen, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they lack some good tracks up in the North America of the United States, not the North America of the continent, but in the United States. I don't know why. 
They all seem to be down south, all the good tracks. Well, I mean, it's also about population, I suppose. I Accessibility suppose. And, and space. It's and easy money. to have a big flat area and build a track like Talladega. True. Yeah. All right. But um, yeah, Hungary this weekend, as always, looking forward to it. Well, these are your lads, actually. Can't wait for the race yeah, to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> as, as always, you know, we've had a great season so far. So much excitement. I say that every after every race, whatever, blah, 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 I usually say. Uh, can't wait for this one. It's going to be exciting again. You know, the battle between the championship, um, the dark horses we just mentioned. Uh, another generic term I could put in here. Strategy, you know, uh, weather. Whoa, that's the thing that uh, comes from the sky. Let's see what's going to happen. It's going to be a good race, I think. And that oh, we didn't talk about the stewards' decision shit. Ah, yeah, fuck. yeah. So Doesn't to matter. everyone sending in their feedback about a new intro, thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm glad you all loved it uh, as much as we do. Tactic. So uh, enjoy the outro music coming up now. And uh, as always, when the race happens, we shall be back. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, please don't stop washing those hands. Please wash them hands. Bye bye.